All right, let's let's read the portion for tonight, and then we'll pray. Uh, so Genesis chapter twenty-one, verse eight to ten. The word of God says this: And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Let's leave it there. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we just want to come before you, O God, in recognition that what we have just read is your word. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that as we meditate upon these three brief verses, Father, what you have for us tonight, Lord God, may impact our lives, Lord God, um, not for moral adjustments or not for uh, behavioral adjustments, but Father, I pray, Lord, that your spirit may bring conviction, Father God, um, to, to all who are your children, Lord God, that those who are your sheep may hear your voice, Lord God, this evening and not mine, O oh God. Father, we pray, Lord, that those who may be outside, Father God, of your flock, Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would have mercy, Father God, and that you would speak, Father God, uh, to them, Father God, that you would raise those dry bones, Father God, that you would uh, regenerate, Lord God, and exchange that heart of stone for a heart of flesh, Father God, because that is truly uh, the greatest miracle, Lord God, you have ever done, Lord God, uh, to turn a rebel into uh, someone who loves you, O oh God. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified and exalted, Lord, as we reflect, Lord God, upon this, these three precious um, verses, O oh God. Have your way, O oh God, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, it's, it's been a while since I've, <clears throat> I've preached um, or, or taught on, on Saturday, so I feel a bit, a bit um, out of place, a little bit out of practice. I'm so bear with me. I don't know how long this will be. It could be very long. It could be very short. But I pray that God is glorified. Um, but what we have been looking at um, in, the, in the past few, few weeks um, is definitely the life of, of Abraham. And that's kind of ex exactly what I want to kind of do tonight with you and just really meditate upon the life of Abraham's um, journey thus far and, and, and really kind of have like a, almost like a bird's eye view of all that has happened and kind of take it all on board and, and see how these massive or, or dramatic uh, events that occur or have occurred in the life of Abraham affected him. Um, and that, that there's this working that God has been doing in the life of, of Abraham. And kind of do almost like a, an, uh, an analysis, if you will, of the character of Abraham. Um, things that, that really you begin to see as you kind of draw back and you take a step back in terms of the whole lifespan of Abraham thus far, that there are things that really concern Abraham uh, or, or things that um, are really important to Abraham and how God begins to change that or use that in a way or ch yeah, modifies it um, or directs it in a new way. Um, and these are the kind of things that I hope that God will begin to do in, in all of us. If he's done that, he, he's going to fulfill that. He's going to complete that and praise, praise God for that. So that's really what I want to do uh, tonight um, in, in reflection of these three verses. Is just really reflect upon the life of Abraham and all these things that have occurred up until this point. 
Um, one in which they, if you read the story, like maybe even one sitting, the whole story of Abraham, you see that there's lots of pain um, uh, that, that Abraham goes through, uh, lots of rebellion against God, even, even in the most subtlest of ways. And, and like I said, I really kind of want to hope and, and draw out this sin that sometimes goes amiss, even in our lives, it, it kind of goes under the radar. Um, I want to share light on this. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but especially as believers, and especially since Christ kind of clarifies this explicitly uh, in, in his gospels, something I want to draw um, your attention to. Um, but first, let's, let's kind of, let's place this text in its context, which is always so important. Um, and just as it was wonderfully recapped by Giovanni um, uh, already, I, I thank you for that, brother. Uh, we, we saw that Abraham has already uh, received that long-awaited promise, the, the, that promised child in, in Isaac. This promised child has been 25 to about 30 years in the making. So it's, it's been a while. He's been waiting for a long time. I think that, that that's almost as long as, as I have been alive. That's definitely longer than most of you guys have been alive. In fact, some of you guys would still be waiting. Like that, it's a long, long time to wait for a promise. And so you see that, that God has, has waited or, or prolonged this promise that he had made to Abraham some time ago. Um, so it, it's, it's been a while. And so he finally has this. It's, it's no longer a wait, um, but he, he has uh, Isaac. And um, what we come to this portion now is that it's kind of some time now. It's, it's, we've fast forwarded in, in time and into the, to the life of Isaac. But <clears throat> nevertheless, uh, the wait is no longer and it, it's here. He's patiently waited for God. And, and something that we kind of struggle with, I guess, is, is something that we've We've brought up um, numerous times because that theme of patience is, is definitely um, throughout throughout the story and life of, of Abraham. But something that that always happens, I guess, uh, we, we may ask ourselves in terms of this waiting or being patient in the Lord is why is that necessary? Why do I have to wait? Abraham may have asked himself, you know, in re 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 uh, reflection of of his life, why do I have to wait thirty? Why did I have to wait thirty years so I could have this? Um, you know, like it, it could be just instant. And that's something that Giovanni was covering last week as well, that we, we live in a life, especially in our society, where everything is so instant and, and immediate. But, you know, we may ask like, well, why is this prolonged? Why is there such a, a long wait? And, and something that God or the way that God really works is, is really the, the, the further or the, the, the longer the wait is that the greater the glory is manifested, the greater the glory is displayed and it brings greater glory to his name. And now why is this so important to God to do? Why is it necessary for God to like build as much suspense as it were before pulling through with this promise? And um, some may suggest to you that the reason is because, and this is something that I've heard throughout the years, is that God is egotistic. It's, it's just God about being God. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what he's about. And one might perceive him to be in that way. If you think this through, though, a little further, you'll notice that, like I said, the greater God reveals himself to us the greater faith we place upon him like you don't want a god that just is immediate and and always 
on the spot because it, it, it shrinks God. It, it makes God to be really little. It produces a weak God. And as Giovanni put it last week, it produces a God of emergency. That's, that's really who not God is at all. And, and so you see that really truly when you, you begin to wait upon God and when God comes, your faith is increased because you begin to see the grandeur of your God, the bigness of your God, the, 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 the love, the, the, the perfection, everything is just that much more intensified. Um, so, so it's so important that we see that. Uh, and so it's not uh, that at all, that, that God is just an egotistic God and, or, whatever, or anything that, that may be negative. And this is what I kind of hope to meditate a little bit further on. Is this uh, almost what what people paint him off as as being egotistic or whatever? But let's um let's get to let's break this down into to two main sections. I'm going to read verse eight, and then we'll read verse nine, and then we'll come back to kind of refocus on the life of of Abraham uh, in a kind of like a, a panorama top of view. Um, so verse eight, let's read verse eight. Can I get someone to read verse eight? Actually, anyone? Whoever gets that first, yep. Uh, and the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Amen. So, like I said, we, we are now a few years in into the promise um, that he's received. You know, uh, Isaac has now um, grown up a little and we have this feast in, in which essentially we're kind of like it's kind of celebrating Isaac's birthday to kind of put it in our contemporary circles. Right. Like this. This is the time where where Isaac kind of grew and and he the scripture says that he was weaned. And now this I don't know if anyone knows what that means. I only it's not a term that you hear all that often, but essentially what, what this means is um, it's kind of like a rite of passage where the baby is no longer considered a baby, essentially, but it's more, it's more of a toddler. When, when the baby no longer depends upon the mother's breast to, to you know, receive the nutrients and, and the sustenance that he requires, but he can now go on to um, eating solid food. And, and so there's a little bit more of independence um, in, in the child and I see Giovanni there's laughing away <laughs> uh, but it, it's all good um, yeah so it's it, it, he moves on to that into this um, into the solid food and and he can kind of you, you, when you begin to see a toddler, he, he now walks and, and he has this hand-eye coordination now a little bit more. And so well, essentially what happens is that the, the child is a little bit more alert. And so this is the perfect time for, for him to kind of observe his father and see what essentially it means for, for, for this boy to be a man. You know, so he's, he, a child is, is, a, is a learning child, right? He observes everything and he copies and he imitates um, his father. And so and uh, around this time, so it's about three to f- or f- five, generally, depending on culture. But let's say he is about three years old um, at this time. So this would make um, uh, Ishmael, the, you know, Abraham's first child with Hagar, uh, 16 years old at this time. So he's he's a big boy now. He's he's a what would you you would refer to him as a as a young man now. And now this was a real special moment in the life of, of this child, in the life of Isaac. And I guess uh, I would do you no good if, if I didn't point out to the fact that Abraham was here. He was involved in the life of, of um, Isaac. He was involved in this rite of passage. And it's, it's a milestone in the life of Isaac. And so you see um, that, and I'm sure Abraham was there in, in Ishmael's as well. 
But the, the reason why I point this out, I guess, is just to kind of further strengthen the reality of, of who Abraham is. This, this man is a, is a caring man. He's a family-oriented man. He's, he's family-focused. And, and really, just to also just to emphasize, when we were looking at um, the, the family series, we were talking about how the, the father really takes a prominent role in the family's life. And so you see here that, um, that clearly with, with Abraham, that he's here involved and he's here at this, obviously he's here at this, what we would call the, the birthday of, of, um, of, of uh, Isaac. And, uh, you know, you see here uh, being involved to the point where not only is he there present, but the scriptures tell us that he's the one that kind of organizes this whole thing. He's the one that throws this party together. You know, generally in our society, it's, it's usually the wife or, or, or the mom that throws these parties. But you, here you see that it's, it's Abraham taking initiative. He's the one that's saying, my boy is turning three. It's a special, it's a special day. We, we need to throw a feast. And so Abraham is rejoicing and it's a wonderful moment. It's a special time to celebrate. Uh, this is a big deal. You know, usually we celebrate when someone turns 18, we, we, you know, in, in our culture, maybe they get the, a car. I, I never got a car, really. Uh, but if you, if, you, if you have been blessed with that, like when you turn 18, you know, I don't know. You, I've, I've watched movies. I don't know if that's a, a thing in your, if you, nah, no one's got any. Cool. Latinas generally don't. You're like, you maybe get the keys to the house. I don't <laughs> And that's a maybe. Um, but yeah, so. But it's a big deal. Three, three, it's he's turning three. It's a big deal. And so it's it's a wonderful moment. And everyone's celebrating and everyone's having a good time. And, and so you just see how how loving and involved um, you see that that Abraham is. And it really I, I want to kind of really just emphasize that and just really meditate upon that. Just just the things that are, are important to Abraham become a little bit clear and crystallized. That Abraham is truly just a man that is just He's happy. I mean, he's happy. He finally has this child um, 25 to 30 years in the making. And then he finally has this promised child. Like he has Ishmael and he loves Ishmael, obviously, but it's not the promised child. And so he finally has it. And so you can almost just imagine this father's like, this is a miracle. Like you are not meant to be here. Like, it was impossible to, to get you here. Every day that you're awake is a reminder of God's grace to me and how wonderful God is. And so he's, he's over the moon and so he's celebrating and he's rejoicing. And it was, like I said, this constant reminder of God's mercy towards him. And like I say, it's evident that Abraham was just, just having a great time. And he was just a proud dad here celebrating the goodness of God um, over the life of Isaac. You know, um, it's a special moment. So it's a wonderful moment. You can just imagine what's going on. Every, he invites everyone uh, from the town or nearby from his community. You know, um, let's, let's celebrate. Like, my boy is still alive, you know. Uh, he's still here. So let's, let's all gather. It's a special moment. And you know that, um, that that's, it, you, we've all been at birthday parties. It's, it's, it's a special day. Um, you know, and, and especially when it's your day, right? And you're celebrating, you're happy. Uh, so it's all about you. But here is Abraham is just like, you know, it's a, you're, you're a three-year-old. You can't even remember your th third party. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember. There's pictures of me crying. I don't know what happened. But um, yeah, so, so there's, there's, it's a special moment. And, and these are the kind of moments, so those Kodak mo moments where you just want to take pictures or well, 
now you just take out your phone but um you know and, and celebrate and so you it's almost a perfect day and you don't want to ruin anything right and then we come to uh verse nine you know like you've always we've all encountered i think um those party poopers, I guess, um, those people that, that always kind of ruin uh, a good thing. Uh, it's almost in their nature, and that's what we kind of see in verse 9. So if I could get someone to read verse 9 and 10. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born unto Abraham from Mokim. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out his handmaid, and her son, her son of his handmaid, shall not be here with my son, even if I was a American standard version. <laughs> NASB. I like, I like. My, my top two. Um, definitely, definitely. Um, so praise God. Uh, so this, you we're reading this, I think something might pop up if you're paying attention um that this is almost a theme here a constant theme or constantly referring back to this this word laughter this is con these people like to <laughs> to laugh a lot right and so this constant theme of laughter and, and not only this time this, you know not the kind of laughter at least that you would expect i mean you expect some, you would hope there's some laughter at a party right especially at a birthday party at a three-year-old especially i mean kids generally just laugh all the time at random things so but but this particular laughter that is referred to here is something that kind of it, it drew sarah's attention you, you you could just imagine almost just sarah's just there everyone you maybe they're cutting the cake it's at that moment i don't know if they did that whatever it is um that they did uh and, and she's just you just scan around right is everyone having a good time is everyone having a good time and then she sees ishmael and he's kind of like laughing. It could be when Abraham's giving his speech on just how wonderful God is and, and, and how God had graced him with, with uh, Isaac. And, and, and Isaac was, uh, you know, kind of like expected but unexpected. You know, like uh, we, we, we were told of him, but we weren't really expecting it. You know, but he's here. And so anyway, so, so you see that Sarah just kind of scans around the room and she notices that this Ishmael is laughing. And it wasn't the kind of laughter that, that um, yeah, like a general laughter. She, she recognized that laugh. And the reason why she recognized that laughter, that little hypocrite of her, was because she laughed in that same way when she was, you know, overhearing the promise that was given to Abraham. That's the same laughter that you find here. And so you see her there and she sees that laughter, mocking laughter that, that Ishmael gives it's this mocking laughter um, that ironically was the same one that she had. And she, she singles that out. She sees that, you know, and, and it might be, and it, I think it's expressed in the way or, or the suggestion that she gives to Abraham that the reason why Ishmael was laughing, and it's not said there, but it might be implied by, by the extreme measure that, that, that Sarah takes, um, is that... Ishmael might be laughing to himself saying, yeah, dad, but I'm the firstborn. I'm the one that will inherit everything. You can say all these nice things about uh, Isaac, but the, the truth is I'm your firstborn. I take everything. I'm the one that takes um, the responsibility of, of all that you own. 
And so she picks up on that. She picks up on that intention. I mean, we were talking about intention uh, earlier. It's about your intentions, right? So she, she zeroes in on this cynical laughter of his. And straight away, she, she brings this up to Abraham. And, and she says that essentially just forces Abraham, remove them from the community, remove them from our family, remove them so that there would be no opportunity for them to even make a claim to the inheritance. And that's what you see here. And now, interestingly enough, uh, I mean, there's not that much written in terms of um, the Israelite laws and, and, and uh, you know, rules and regulations on how things were done. Um, that comes later with Moses and the law. But there were certain documents around that area that I was around that time um, called the Nuzi document. Um, and and essentially what that, that stated was, or that document kind of informs us, is that, um, that the, the first wife, the, the, uh, the primary wife, in this case it's Sarah, had no legal right to banish the secondary wife, being Hagar. Um, so this was not permitted. Now, this is not, like I said, a Jewish law, but it might be something that, that, um, that they practice themselves as well. Um, and it's noticeable as well. It, it, if you look at the, the verse, it, it's not Sarah that banishes Hagar. It's Sarah that says to Abraham, Abraham, banish them. Um, so it might be that because uh, you see that she, she's kind of, she goes to Abraham and she has no right to, to suggest that. But even more interesting, as I guess this, this banishing as well was also considered by many scholars that what is described here is essentially what Abraham does with, with um, Hagar and, and with Ishmael is you got to remember that Hagar in particular was a maid, was a slave. That's what she was. Her servant, it's translated servant, but you know, the word there is slave, that she was a slave to, to Sarah. Um, and therefore the child was also um, their property, right? That's just the way things was back in those days. Um, and we've discussed previously in terms of like how that, that differs from our society's view of, of slavery. We won't get into it. But anyways, what, what happens here, what is being described here is essentially that Abraham is giving them their freedom. And so by giving them their freedom, they forfeit their rights to the inheritance. Um, and so that is what is kind of suggested by the narrative here. Um, but before we leave this verse, and th that's essentially what's happening in the verse. Um, but before we kind of leave this section, I think it would be good for us to kind of reflect upon what Paul says about this, um, this section and, and how he interprets this as well. And so if you want to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 28 to 31. Galatians chapter 4, 28, 31. The Word of God says this, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Okay. So, I hope you heard that with the added beat, beat behind. 
Yeah, the, the, <laughs> yeah. Um, but essentially what's going on here, what Paul is addressing here is, uh, this is obviously a letter to the Galatians and he's dealing mostly with this heretical teaching that has kind of sprung up within the church. All right. And this, this group has infiltrated the church and this group has commonly been known as the Judaizers. And what these guys did were, were influencing the church, um, uh, trying to convince them or trying to convince some of the church members at, at least to, to kind of fall under some of their rituals or practices. Essentially, what they were suggesting was that unless you do these certain particular uh, rituals, you are not genuinely partakers of the kingdom. And so what are some of those rituals in particular? Uh, in particular, focused, they focused sorry, on, on circumcision. And they said, unless you have this, you are not a, a genuine uh, believer. And so that was the claim that these guys did. All right, and so it was to this false teaching that Paul would respond in aggravation and frustration, calling the Galatians foolish for even paying attention to these morons. Because all along, um, Paul has been expressing to them that you are saved by grace through faith alone, right? That's the main way through which we are saved. And in comes these guys and says, ah, wait, not until you're circumcised is this genuine. And Paul's like, no, man, by faith alone, like, that's it. Um, and so he, he, you see here that, that there's this frustration. And, it, and so it seems that the church, which was made up by both Jew and Gentile, were, were laying up uh, upon these certain members, these additional prerequisites or whatever for membership. And like I said, these Judaizers were insisting upon the Gentile church members to follow their instructions. Um, and, and, and Paul makes the comparison to this text. Uh, this is where he makes this comparison to them, where, where back to Genesis, where we were reading, where Paul would say that if, um, if I could just kind of paraphrase, he was telling them the, the congregation in Galatia that what these Judaizers were doing was exactly what Ishmael was doing with Isaac. Like this mocking, this teasing, you know, this, he refers it to as, is this persecution. And so Paul identifies that this mocking laughter of Ishmael was essentially a form of persecution against Isaac in the same way these, you know, with these further instructions of, of circumcision and, and what have you. Um, because anything adding to the, the faith that we have is really a removal of, of the faith. Um, because it's things that are not demanded by God. The, the, the moment you think that you need to add to your salvation, you, you're not adding, you're actually subtracting from the perfect work of God. And so anyway, so it was this man-made religion that was being cast over the people of God. And these Gentiles were being told that this would be the means through which they would secure their salvation. And that was... You know, like I said, this religion, this religion mentality of adding to the work of God. Um, so what was the remedy? It was to this, to this foolishness, to this idiosity, this, this uh, stupidity of, of thinking that you can add to your salvation. Just like Abraham casted out the slave woman and her child, so too Paul called for the same form of action to cast that out from your church. That's essentially what we're going to do as well. And that's, well, I guess when we look at the story of Abraham and, and, and uh, Ishmael and, um, 
and Hagar, this, this laughing, this, this mocking, um, you know, because the truth of the matter is that we as believers get mocked because we are so um, not driven by these externals, um, these external things that we practice. We do them, but we don't do them as a means to attain something. We do them because we already have attained something. Right. So we, we understand that the love of God that we've received, we've received in full and there's nothing that we can add to it so that we can get more from him. The moment you add to it is the moment you start taking from it. Does that make sense? And so the moment you think upon that and or think that that's the way God works, you, you are sadly mistaken and you you fall under the same uh, ridicule that Paul gives to the Galatians. You are foolish. You're being stupid, if you allow me. The moment you think that these are the, this is the way in which you attain something, you are actually distancing, distancing yourself from God. That's the reality. And so what is the call to do? It's to separate yourself from that, run from that, disregard yourself from that. Um, and that's what we do as, as a church. We need to make sure that we move, remove anything that is resembling that. So that's essentially what Paul says about this text. But what I, like I said, what I wanted to do with you, and this is where I want to kind of lead towards and end with, um, is really think upon the life of Abraham as an overall, you know, kind of like a, uh, 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 kind of like a pulling back, a zooming out, and 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 focusing on his life um, almost complete. You know, because if you remember, the life of Abraham is is one that is. It was constant battle. It was, it was a wrestling match. I, I see it really like Jacob when he says, I wrestled with God, right? And, and I see that that in, in Abraham's life. And the truth of the matter is that that is the reality of every believer, that it is a wrestling match with God. It is this constant back and forth. And, and it's perfectly depicted for us in Abraham's life. But there's something here about Abraham that really, it, 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 um, it, it draws my attention a lot. Um, but if you remember the, the, you know, the story of Abraham, the way this, uh, this young man, or wasn't so young, I guess he was pretty old when God called him. Um, but he, the, the, when he calls him out, God calls him out from a place of paganism. His family was uh, pagan worshippers and, and God calls him out out of there, you know, and he tells him to leave that place. You know, right from the beginning, he, he says to him, you know, um, leave this place and depart and, and don't just leave this place. He, he, God tells him, don't just leave here or don't leave your home, but also leave your kindred. That's essentially, he, God says to Abraham, leave your family. Leave your family and leave your land. Leave where you, you've been growing up or whatever. Uh, leave that. And this is really, I, I don't want to bypass that because that really is kind of the, 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 the main thing that Abraham struggled with from the beginning. When God calls him out, he says, leave your land and leave your family. The thing that he struggled with the most was the leaving your family part. He constantly, constantly struggled. When God calls him out, he calls him out at a time when... When his older brother dies, if you remember the story of Abraham, his older brother dies and he leaves behind his son. His son's name is, does anyone remember his son's name? His older brother's son. Does anyone remember Abraham's nephew's name? Yes, thank you. Lot. 
Um, so, so he loses his brother and he's left. He feels in charge of, of Lot and there's this immediate connection. And so God says, leave your place and leave your family. And, and Abraham's like, okay, I'm going to leave my place. And he leaves my place and he takes with him his dad and he takes with him his nephew and, and their family and all that they had. And so uh, God calls him and says, go, I'm going to show you to a place where I'm going to give you. And, and, and he kind of starts the journey, but halfway through, he kind of stops and takes a pit stop, right? To kind of replenish himself. And eventually what should be kind of like a temporary fix became their home because his father liked it there. He enjoyed it. And so that they stayed there for quite some time, if you recall. Abraham was just a loving guy. He really loved his family. And so when he comes to that point where, where God was like, you know, I've, I've told you, leave your family, leave your land. I'm going to show you where to go. I'm, I'm going to, to give you something. I'm giving you something. And so God takes the life of his father. And it was that that kind of, kind of, pushed him or, or gave him that nudge to like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm meant to be going somewhere. And so him and his, his nephew leave and they finally get to the place where, they, where God had promised him. And there was just, you see the, the heart of Abraham. He, he constantly uh, loved his family. You see it with, even with Lot, you know, when, when they finally get to the land um, um, and, and Lot, yeah, I think even before that, I mean, Lot gets, no, I think it's after actually. Anyways, they come to the land and, and, and their, their herdsmen begin to kind of bicker. And so Abraham's such a loving guy that he doesn't want any friction between his nephews. So what does Abraham do? He's like, look, I don't want no beef with you. You take the best land. Like he was just that, that kind of guy that I don't want to lose my relationship with you. I've lost my father. I've lost your father. I don't want to lose you. So take the better land. And so Lot's like, man, I, I love my uncle. He takes the best half of the land. And eventually what we all know what happens, right? He, he eventually gets lost in, in, in that city. And I mean, it's two times actually where, where he gets lost that Abraham had to go and, and rescue him. And you see even in that, that Abraham was this con just constantly needing that family. He wants that family. He loves her. It's it's probably knowing the fact that he's so old that he can't have any kids, right? And so you see that God, God tells him, Abraham, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I've got something for you. I promise you, I have something for you. And so anyway, so Abraham is still clinging on to these relationships, his relationship base. That's, that's how Abraham functions. And so he, anyways, he rescues a lot one time um, and then rescues Lot a second time. And you remember when he's interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, like, God, if, if you would spare the city, who is he thinking of? Like, you think he's really caring for the city? Like, he's, he's thinking about Lot. He, he just wants it. I don't want to lose the only family member that I have left. And so he's, he's interceding and praying, God, please. And, and God's like, all right, look, I'll, I'll redeem. I'll save Lot. He saves Lot, but takes the life of, of his sister-in-law. And as you recall, John, Jono kind of recalls that for us. He says that that kind of hit him hard. You know, the loss of his sister-in-law, it, it impacted him that he started falling into bad patterns when he once offered or said of his wife that it was his sister in Egypt, 
right? It messes with him. He's so grounded by his family. He, he's holding on to his family for, for dear life. This is what he wants. And, and all throughout his journey, God is like, God, man, Abraham, I have something for you. I have something for you. I've, I've got some. I know what your heart desires. I have something for you. He's given him his land. He's promised him a child. And I know that probably most of you are thinking that I'm referring to Isaac when he's saying he's got something for him. But the truth of the matter is that that is not what God really was offering to Abraham. What God was offering to Abraham was all that he ever wanted and more. And that does not come in the form of Isaac. It comes in God. That is what he was offering. I have something for you. You know, that, that void that you want, you keep on filling it with your family. Constantly need that relationship with your, your father, your brother, your nephew, your wife. I mean, I don't know. He's a bit shady with his wife where he's just like, you know what? Whatever, <laughs> right? I might get myself a younger one. I might have a kid. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he's the, but he's very driven by, by family. He, he's holding on to family. He's clinging on to this. And that's essentially what God is going to offer. I have a family for you. But it's not in the way we're thinking. Like I said, it's not Isaac. He comes through Isaac. Yeah, he does. He, have a, he has a large descendancy of which we become Abraham's family. It's, it's, it's amazing. But it's God. God is whom he was offering him. All this, right, all this, all this whole time, this whole journey with Abraham, you begin to see these characteristics that he's a loving guy. That's why he was able to kind of multiply his land and multiply his people because he was such a loving dude. He was a, a, a relationship type of guy, right? He, he, he vouched for you. He, he, could, he didn't have to buy loyalty. He was just loving. It was just about family. He's driven by that. And eventually there comes to a point in here, in the portion we just read, where he is instructed to let go of his firstborn. You have to keep in mind how loving Abraham is. This isn't an easy thing. This isn't something where it's just like, oh yeah, hey dude. This is my son, right? And he tells him to depart. And how can this be such, not an easy thing, but, but looking at his, his history, his past record, he doesn't do so well with departures of family. You begin to see that finally Abraham is kind of grasping what really it is that God has come to offer him. Yeah, you may say Isaac is there. I mean, you, it's pretty easy to say that, man. You know, like it's easy to let go of Ishmael now because he has that promised child. But I don't think that's the case. Because one chapter from now, in chapter 22, and this is what we'll end on, and we'll get to it, and eventually we'll unpack it a bit more. When you come to chapter 22, you see... Abraham 
come to the point where God says, give me your beloved son, Isaac. And he's like, okay. Wait, what? Like, bro, you, 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 you struggled when your dad died. You struggled when your brother died. You struggled when your, your sister-in-law died. Ishmael, you're struggling. And now you're just like at this point where you're like, you want my son? The one that it's taken me 30 years to have? And he comes to the point where he's like, yeah, okay. It's because he's finally beginning to see that all that he ever wanted He has in God. He has that in God. That is his family. That has always been that ultimate gift. It is God. It's God and it's always God. And he comes to that point where he can now fully let go of that. It's it's God. And brothers, I just want to end with this. The only reason why you are not as close as you should be to God The only reason why you see cell group as mandatory thing at best. The only reason why you see church as something you need to do. Or maybe you see it as a boring thing. The only reason why you see these things as that. Is because you are still holding on to those temporary things. Just like Abraham was. Holding on to maybe your family. Maybe your career. Or maybe yourself. That's the reason why you see these things as a bore. Because you haven't found God to be your treasure. Because the moment you see him as your ultimate treasure. Your Isaacs you offer up to him. So easily. So easily. Until that day happens. You will always see these things as something boring, as something mundane, or something I have to do so that I can gain his favor. Stop being foolish. This isn't something you do for him. It's worthless to him if you come with that attitude. You need to come to a place where you love God for God. And these things become far more exciting than anything outside. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, O God, for